Well, good morning, church family. Glad each one of you are here this morning, and as we've joined together and we've sung already that our Savior, He is. Uh, He is all those things that we just sung. Uh, And as we come to Him this morning in prayer, uh, realizing that we are truly blessed individuals to know the Father through the Son uh, as the Spirit gives testimony that we belong to God. So let's pray once more as we commit our time uh, in the Word to Him in prayer. Gracious Father, we just pause for a moment to ask that your spirit would help us uh, to focus our minds, uh, our hearts, and our souls uh, on the words that you have for us this morning. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge that your word is truth, uh, and that truth gives us the ability to know what is. Uh, And so, Father, may you uh, guide us this morning. May uh, you be honored and glorified as a result of our time together Uh, as we've sung, but also as we open up your word this morning. Uh, Lord, use me as your willing vessel to communicate your truth to your children. Uh, And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, our text this morning is going to be verses 14, 15, and 16. As we uh, continue on in this uh, prayer that was introduced last Sunday, uh, as we realize this is the second prayer that Paul has preached in this short uh, beginning of the letter uh, that he has penned to the saints that are in Ephesus. Uh, And today I entitled the sermon, Strengthened in Your Inner Being. Uh, And we're going to find that as you take a look at that, that it may dispel some of the things that the world teaches some of the things that the world puts forth in relation to strengthening your inner being. Uh, Because this strengthening of the inner being does not come from within you. Uh, It comes from the Father, uh, through the Son and through the Holy Spirit, uh, because He is the one that strengthens us. He is our strength, uh, as we'll find out what this inner man actually speaks to. Um, And so as we begin, uh, as we always do, let's... uh, take a look at what it is to mean um, to be before the Father. Verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. That word before literally means toward. In other words, you are directing your focus, you're directing everything that you are towards the supreme being of all. Uh, You are coming to him because you know that he is the one who can speak truth into your life that he is the one that at one point you were an enemy of, but because of Jesus Christ, you have the ability to direct your attention. You actually have an attention to direct uh, because there was a time when that was not the case. Uh, You did not view God in a right way because you did not have redeemed eyes. Uh, You did not have the ability to uh, even digest in any way spiritual uh, realities because you were only looking at it through a physical realm, through a physical lens. And so uh, Paul says here, as as he's bowing his knee out of an act of humility, out of an act of uh, submission before God, realizing everything that he is as a result of Jesus Christ, that he is no longer that proud Pharisee. Instead, he is a humble servant of God through Christ. So he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, 
So in other words, I'm going to forget everything that's around me, not allow the circumstances of life to crowd out my attention, but instead my focus is going to be solely upon him. Even the crying baby that is, you know, maybe drawing your attention away, don't let that. Let that crying remind you of God's creation, but also, too, of just how beautiful God is. And so Paul sets the stage here. He bows and he looks toward. He looks face to face with his creator. If you remember, this is the right way in which we should come to God, because as you remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, prayer. Uh, And if you remember that uh, prayer is actually communion with God, only believers in Jesus Christ, only those who have been redeemed, who have been born again, can actually commune with God in prayer. And so what Paul is doing here is he, he is saying that God, prayer belongs to you. It's not my tool. Prayer belongs to you because what prayer does is it brings us into the presence of Almighty God through the Spirit. And we have to come to Him in a right way. And that's why in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or your name. King James is getting mixed in there. The focus is the Father. The focus is God the Father. And the one who is, as we think about him being Father, holy be your name. Let everything that have breath praise your name. Because you are Elohim. You are the supreme, the strong one, the creator of all things. Because you are El Shammah, the God who hears. You are El Yashayati, the God of my salvation. You are El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, God Almighty. All names that we took a look at and realizing that, you know, as we come to God in prayer, that He is all those things and so much more. Those are only four names. Uh, We could spend an entire year looking into the names of God and how He's revealed Himself. But not only is that prayer belonging to God and coming before the Father, we realize that Jesus is actually the pipeline of prayer. Because apart from Jesus, we cannot commune with God in this way. Because there is no amount of goodness in you, there's no amount of good works in you, apart from Christ's righteousness, something that replaces that which was dead and brings life to it, that you can actually come to the Father and commune with Him in that way. See, Jesus is the pipeline because you need Jesus' righteousness in order to come into the presence of God Almighty. And we also took a look at the fact that the Holy Spirit is our partner in prayer because He helps us in our weakness, as we sung about this morning, that sometimes we are weak and we need to be encouraged, built up, or maybe brought down in order to be brought up. He intercedes for us. He conveys the will of God to us. That's a very important part of who we are spiritually. And we remember last week, we talked about a heart that is in submission to the will of God. And this is what Paul is doing as he he bows his knees before the Father. Something that all the prayers that he uttered as a Pharisee, in all that self-righteousness, 
never once gave God the glory he was due. But now he can, all because of Jesus Christ. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. So that phrase, every family in heaven and on earth is named, is not talking about every individual, every one that God has woven in their mother's womb. This is not speaking to everyone who is created in the image of God. This is separating out a particular people. As we read in the New Testament, those that are part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, those who have been bought with a price, the one that the Lord knows each and every one of their names because he has given them individually to the Son. And all that the Father gives to the Son, he loses none. So these are a special group of people. These are saints from every, every age because it says every family in heaven and on earth is named. So it's talking about every believer in Jesus Christ, whether they were from the, the Old Testament beginning looking forward to the Messiah coming or as we are here in 2022 looking back to when the Messiah came. Everyone who is trusted in Christ for salvation has put their faith and trust in him. This is who it is referencing, every saint of every age, because it is the Father who gives us that name. We are sons and daughters of the God who is. It speaks back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, where it says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. See, Jesus Christ qualifies us to, to give us a righteousness not our own. The Spirit is the one who regenerates the believer so they are reborn, so they can begin to see things through a spiritual lens as opposed to just a physical lens. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. J.I. Packer said this in relation to those that are part of God's family. He says, To those who are Christ, the holy God is a loving Father. They belong to His family. They may approach Him without fear and always be sure of His fatherly concern and care. This is the heart of the New Testament message. So we do not need to fear the wrath of Almighty God because Jesus Christ himself took that wrath upon himself. We are able to approach the God of the ages, the God of eternity, because Christ has qualified us to. We, there's no need of fear. We don't have to shrink away in shame. We come in reverence and awe of the fact that we can come into the presence of Almighty God this way. That's why we see Paul bowing his knee. That's why we see Paul redirecting his focus toward the Father, not toward the circumstances in his life, which, remember, where is he? He's in prison. And as you look at his past, he could go all, all, look and have the, the pity party for himself. But no, what does he do? In encouraging these saints in Ephesus, he redirects their focus to where their focus should be, 
not on the circumstances around them, but on Almighty God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We're going to spend the last um, portion of our time this morning unpacking verse 16. Because there's things that you need to see, there's things you need to understand in relation to this. Because Paul has begun his prayer, he has set the stage, he has our focus where it needs to be. He has reminded us that it is our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name. So I'd like to go to the end of verse 16 first for you to understand the inner being. In order for you to understand everything that precedes that, that according to Uh, We'll all uh, find its context by looking at the inner being. Inner being is actually defined as human nature or metaphorically used of the eternal man. Internal, not eternal. Including the heart, the mind, and the soul. So you can keep your... Well, you don't need to keep your finger here in Ephesians. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 7. Because here in Romans chapter 7, we'll get a picture of what this inner man uh, is all about. Because as we're going to find out here in a few moments, there was a point at which you did not have this inner man, this inner being. Romans chapter 7, which is a beautiful chapter where Paul is helping us to see that the, 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 that he does not do the good that he wants to do, but instead, the evil which he does not want to do, he keeps on doing. And I'd like to pick it up in verse 21. He says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. See, Paul is is painting this picture of someone who delights in the law of God. Well, who delights in the law of God? Does all mankind delight in the law of God? No. Only those who have had their spiritual eyes open can delight in the law of God. And many people... Uh, And many churches today think that Romans chapter 7 was written by Paul before he was a believer in Jesus Christ. And I would beg to differ. Matter of fact, if anything, what he is showing here is that there is a, a battle that is taking place. A battle that was not there apart from saving grace in Jesus Christ. Because we were enslaved to sin before Christ. We live for sin. We live for the lust of the eyes the pride of life, all the things that this world holds on to because there was no inner man to give testimony to spiritual things. He says, I delight in the law of the Lord in my inner being, and this war is raging because the good that he wants to do, he does not do, and the very evil that he does not want to do, he does. Because the thing is, is yes, we are redeemed. Yes, we are born again. 
Yes, we are no longer slaves to sin, but there is still a battle raging, not for our salvation, but for our communion with God. For us to not give in to temptation and let temptation have its work where that temptation becomes sin, therefore creating a stumbling block or some sort of barrier between us and God and our fellowship with Him. And this is what Paul is giving testimony to because there is this battle that even though he has been redeemed, even though he has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, even though he is no longer living in self-righteousness before God, misleading people into thinking that religiosity is what you need to do, there's a sense in which this battle rages on. And this is part of the reason why Paul is praying that you be strengthened, not in your own personal strength, not that you just pull up your bootstrings and, and, and just put, plow through things. What he's talking about here is getting a strength outside yourself, a strength that only comes from God himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though the outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. So here we see these two different you know, opposites, this outer nature, which is consistent with that which the world lives for. Because the thing is, you and I still are capable of disobeying God. We are still capable of sin. We are still capable of doing that which is evil. That's why we need to be strengthened in the power of God himself. To keep us from diverting our attention away from the inner man that's being renewed day by day and giving in to those fleshly desires, those fleshly things which you know, are the, the circumstances or the things that we, we diverge from instead of keeping our focus toward God, which is what Paul starts out this prayer with. I bow my knees in humility before God, drawing my attention toward God and God alone. See, unbelievers do not have this inner being because they are spiritually dead. There's no spiritual life in them. Going back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, they're dead in their trespasses and sins, but are made alive in Christ Jesus when they trust Him as Savior. But see, unbelievers live only according to the outward being, and that's not who we are any longer. It doesn't mean we can't live toward that outward being because you can look at your own life, if you're willing to take the time to do so, and realize that there are things that you think, say, and do that do not honor God. At any given time, when you least expect it, when you step back and say, where did that come from? And at that point, you need to say, you know, God, I'm sorry I did that. Confess your sin before God and say, you know, uh, know that God is willing and able to forgive that sin, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is not speaking to our salvation because there is nothing that you can do because you have been bought and paid for that is going to disqualify you from being in the presence of God forever because you've been sealed with the Spirit until the day of redemption. But you can certainly, as unbelievers do all the time, 
exercise that outward being in opposition to everything that Christ has done, everything that Christ took and paid for on that cross when he took the very wrath of God for your sin upon himself, as if that means little or nothing. And see, that's why Paul is saying here that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Because we need to be strengthened in our inner being because there's still a battle raging, not for our salvation, but for our communion, our attention, our, our wonderful uh, walk with God. And those things are going to pull. They're always going to be there. Those temptations are always going to rise. And the question is, are we going to look at those temptations and give in to them? Or are we going to, as Paul has done, redirect his focus on God himself? Because God does not tempt you. Those temptations come from the evil one. Those temptations come from us focusing on the flesh as opposed to focusing on God. See, for believers, this inner being is in Christ Jesus because he has made us alive. That's the difference. That's why we are not like the rest of the world. Do we sin? Yes. But there's forgiveness because we've been made right, right with God through Christ. You know, and how many times have you had an unbeliever shake the finger and say, ah, look at you, look what you did. You're no better than I am. Well, in relation to that sin, that's absolutely right. But you know what? I'm better off than you are because of Jesus Christ, because of his righteousness, because I've been bought and paid for, because the Father who loved me enough to send his Son took that which was dead and made it alive in Christ Jesus. I guess you can turn back to Ephesians, um, not chapter 3, but chapter 4. By now, hopefully, your Bible actually turns to that section pretty easily. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is going to speak to this, and we're not going to spend any time here, but you get a picture of this. He says in verse 22 and following, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory. He says in verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, the thing is, it, it takes your attention. You are not a robot. There's some times where I really wish I was because then I wouldn't have to worry about suffering the consequences of the poor choices I make. And maybe just reboot me. And everything will be fine. I'll go back to my, my programming. But the problem is, is that we have to make an effort. We have to take the time to pray and say, God, I need your strength. I need you every hour of every day. Because there is a battle raging. This is why Paul says, as he, he recognizes this inner being that has been sparked to life, because it is an inner being that only exists because of salvation in Christ through the Spirit before the Father. He says that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. 
So that phrase, strengthen with power through his spirit. The first thing that this does is that phrase gives us an awareness of our spiritual need. See, I've already spoken to the fact that there is a battle raging, not for your soul, but for your love and your commitment and your attention to God on a daily basis. You're no longer a slave to sin, but if you are not consciously making an effort to put on the armor of God, which we'll talk about later in the book of Ephesians, to make sure that you are examining yourself, to make sure that you belong to God, to remember who you are. As we next week celebrate communion, to remember Christ's sacrifice, to remember that this is not just celebrating a point in history, this is celebrating and remembering the great cost of sin being laid upon the sinless Son of God, taking upon himself the wrath of God for your sin. See, no matter how strong we think we are, the flesh is very weak. And if you're not careful, if you're not cautious, if you're not coming to God and asking for him to give you the strength to live this life he's called you to, then guess what? You are opening yourself up to the attacks of Satan, opening yourself up to those things which you are weak toward, things that will draw your attention away from God, whether that ends up being spending the time with him in prayer, whether that means not opening your Bible except when I say open your Bibles to whether that is you living like a completely different individual outside of this building. See, the thing is, is we have to, to guard ourselves against those things that draw our attention away. And how do we do that? Is it in our own personal strength? Like I said, do we pull up our bootstraps and say, I've got this? Well, we're going to find out in a few moments, actually, that's the, the wrong thing to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus." so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. See, the power belongs to God. The power that you need to live the Christian life belongs to God. Because if you could do it on your own, then Jesus did not need to die. We can't do it on our own. We needed a Savior. And what is a Savior by definition? Someone who saves. You needed saving. In the book of Psalm, uh, chapter 73, verse 26, it says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Guess what? The flesh fails. And oftentimes when we give in to the flesh, then the heart fails. Not to total corruption, because again, we're not talking about salvation, but we are talking about communion and walking with God and and enjoying all the things that you sung about this morning, that he is all those things to you. 
because you can see them with your spiritual eyes because there's no sin hindering you from seeing the truth about who God is. There's nothing hindering you from seeing that I should not be thinking that or saying that or doing that because of who God is. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God. I like the word, but God, or words, I guess that's two, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So there's awareness of a spiritual need because of the battle in which we face. There's also an awareness of spiritual riches. Because notice it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. See, notice that it's not a prayer for deliverance. It's an actual prayer for spiritual resistance, which is completely different. We always want to be delivered from something. But what Paul is saying here is that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So this is a prayer for spiritual resistance against those things that would draw your attention away from God. A prayer for spiritual resistance that's based in God's strength and God's power, not your strength and your own power. Remember back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? See, the thing is, that the reason why we go through the, the, the letters in the Bible like we do verse by verse is so you can see how it builds upon itself, how it refers back for you to see the connection here. Well, what is that immeasurable greatness? It's, it's unfathomable. It's unparalleled greatness. There is nothing you can compare it to in this world because it is otherworldly because God is above all things. He is eternal. He has always existed. He is That power that it speaks of in verse 19 is dynamic, active, prevalent, and capable. Remember all those four different Greek words that we looked at? I know I might be shaking cobwebs out of that portion of your brain. But see, that's how God's power is. It's dynamic. It's like dynamite. It can come in and blow up anything that is going to draw your attention away from God. It's active. It doesn't sit there passively because God's power is not passive. It is active. It is constantly doing what God does in order to keep everything going that we see all around us. He's promised to finish the good work that he started in us. That's active. Prevalent, capable. And that power is energizing every child of God to become an overcomer. You are one thought, one prayer, one moment away from experiencing that power when you come to God and, and say, God, strengthen me. I can't do this on my own. I've, I've, I'm finished hoping in what I can do. Show me what you can do. There's also an awareness of God's strength to live the life that he has called us to. See, whether you realize this or not, this spiritual strength that Paul is praying for is an actual earmark or a litmus test for every true believer. 
Because what happens is, is before Christ, we did everything in our own power and our own strength. We lived how we wanted to live, regardless of what that meant, who it hurt, or, or etc. But see, that's not who you are anymore. You are a child of God. You have been redeemed. You have been brought into the family of God. So this spiritual strength is an identifying fruit of every believer. So if you're not praying for God to strengthen you today, you need to start today. And stop striving in your own strength. Stop thinking you've got this. Stop thinking that I don't need anyone else. When in reality, you need God more than everyone else. Spiritual strength and growth takes time and is a lifelong pursuit. I'd love to say that after 47 years that I've arrived. But you know what? I haven't. And I never will until I am brought home into the very presence of God and that sin nature is eradicated once for all, where I won't have to battle with it any longer. So that's why you need to be praying, God, strengthen me, grant me the strength that only you can give to take me through this. Because remember, it's spiritual resistance, not deliverance. So whatever form the attack of this world may take, our prayer should be that of Paul. Father, according to the riches of your glory, may you grant me to be strengthened with power through your spirit in my inner being. So repeat after me. Father, according to the riches of your glory, may you grant me to be strengthened with power through your spirit in my inner being. See, that's a prayer, not just so you say something rotely before God, but that is the summation of what we need each and every day. Because you belong to God. You're his son, his daughter. You've been redeemed. So make verse 16 a prayer because it is a prayer, but personalize it. So how should this inform our lives today? The first thing I want you to understand, there we go, is that when we feed our inner being with personal strength, it hurts us and everyone else around us. Did you catch the difference? When we feed our inner being with personal strength, I've got this. Those words should be eradicated from you. Unless you clarify and say, I've got this because God's got me. See, the thing is, is we need to make sure that we are not exercising and living this life that God's called us to in our own personal strength. And I know it's hard to give up that strength. It's hard to not want to do things for yourself. We live in a country where a lot of that is based in that, that you can be all that you want to be. But see, from a spiritual realm, when we think about the battle which we are facing, the fact is it is spiritual in nature. So we need the one who is spirit, the one who is God, 
to speak truth into our lives in this way. Stop striving in your own strength because all it does is it hurts you because eventually that strength is going to give up. It doesn't mean you can't have victories here and there, but at some point that's going to fail. So why not go to the God who will never fail, who never sleeps or slumbers, who is always there waiting for that prayer of perseverance from one who is a child of God? See, the thing is, is this is one of those paradoxes scripturally because we gain spiritual strength by surrendering personal strength. Let me say that again. We gain spiritual strength by surrendering personal strength. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul, when he asked God to take away his thorn in the flesh, we know this passage. He says, but... He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, you're not getting in the way, Paul. My power is going to accomplish its good work in you, even if you do have that thorn in the flesh, because my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That is completely opposite to how man thinks. No, I've got to be strong in my own strength. There's no one who can help me. I have to do this on my own. Right here scripturally, that when we want to gain spiritual strength, guess what? You've got to give up personal strength. You got to stop striving in your own strength. Isaiah 40, verses 28 and 29 says, Have you not, not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. Verse 29 He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. He gives power to the faint. See, the thing is, living life is hard. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying to you. And living the Christian life is that much harder. Because it is a battle each and every day to give up those things that the world loves, that the world wants to bring you into because you can only experience life, you can only have joy if you do this. But the thing is, you have to remember, they have no inner man. They have no inner being. There is nothing regenerate about them. And so what they do with lacking an inner man is try and fill that void with everything that this world has to offer. And the thing is, God wants to through his strength, fill up your inner being, something that is alive and real so that you can face the challenges of this life. That's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let me give you four, very quickly, things that the strengthening power of God gives to you as believers in Jesus Christ. First one is in relation to big things. It comes out of Psalm 46, 
verses 1 to 3. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So the very biggest catastrophe you could ever think of, the actual earth itself giving way, guess what? That does not affect the strength of God. As a matter of fact, what it does, it says that God is a very help in that time of trouble. And that there is no fear. The rest of the world may be running around in fear of what ifs, but you don't have to. Because you are in that refuge, that strength, that very present help in trouble. Because God is your God and he has you. But also the necessary things. This comes out of the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. It says here, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of olive oil and the, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. So in other words, no food. Because the ground's not producing it, because there's no animals to have in order to eat or to enjoy what they can provide. So if that's the case, those necessary things of everyday life, it says in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So the thing is, it doesn't matter what happens in relation to even those necessary things, because guess what? You belong to God. You are one of his children. And if he is willing, in love, to send his son to die for you, do you think he is going to just let you go and forget about you? Absolutely not. You are on his mind all the time because you're part of his family. He is your father. I will rejoice, I will take joy. And he actually, if anything, during this time, he leads you up to tread on high places, lifts you above all of those things. Those things are nothing for the God who can do the impossible. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Again, God's power brings joy, peace, belief, and hope. And finally, Psalm 28, 7. This is a verse you should commit to memory because this is a beautiful verse. And I close with this. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts. I am helped. My heart exalts. And that word exalts there in Hebrew actually literally means to jump for joy. So listen to it again. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts. I am helped. My heart jumps for joy. And with my song I give thanks to him. See, that's what God can do when you look to him, when you come rightly into his presence, humbly as one who has been redeemed, who has been bought and paid for, and you give him the honor and the glory that he is due. And so with that verse in Psalm, which is the Psalter, 
of the Old Testament. Let's stand together as the worship team comes this morning and we close and sing God is for us as we, with our song, give thanks to him.